0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network.
1: You're listening to episode 280, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin.
0: Hi, I'm Nick. I'm co-hosting for the week.
1: Awesome. Hey, Nick, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing fantastic, Brittany. Just, uh, you know, enjoying the life of a Rubyist and a, and a Railsist. How are you?
1: I'm doing real well. I have lots to talk with you about this week. So, but I do definitely want to kick off the episode by asking you about how past Rubies is going.
0: Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, you and I are a fan of a, a lot of different podcasts and newsletters, and I think we're, we're both fans of watching people kind of talk their way through a new project, right? Or, or not just shipping something when it's done and, and pretty, but kind of taking you along the journey. And I think past Ruby's, you know, if I want it to be perfect, when it came out, I'd still probably be another month or two away, but I've just been pushing out issues and improving it every week. So what I can say issue number five, um, and for listeners who may not have heard me talk about it in the past, it's just a newsletter I put out every week where I look back on Ruby stories that happened this week, certain number of years ago. Kind of like a this day in history, you know, 2005, 2010. And, uh, this week we, you know, got our own domain. So it's sdrubies.com now. And that's just for the internet archive. I've improved the the email setting a little bit. And, uh, I kind of dedicate my time every week in, in two areas. And I do about half the time for curation. So reading really cool old articles and figuring out what people might like to read. Another half is just approving the system, like putting the new website up or uh I actually have almost a ruby gem that I've built that I build a new adapter for every super cool resource I find so that I literally run a command every week and it generates 30 or 40 uh open web pages for me using the launchy gem uh from those uh past things so it just kind of scrapes off a uh, web archive, you know, the uh, archive.org uh Wayback Machine. Yeah. So Kind of my dream. So right now I have a handful of resources in that not gem closed source code at the minute, but it's kind of getting more and more fun because now that I have my own website to put these together, instead of just writing, you know, raw HTML, and, uh, now that I have this kind of gemmy thing that's growing out and getting more and more resources, like today I added hackity.org, right? So why the lucky stiff, you know, wrote loads on Ruby with um, Red Handed from 2004 to 2007. Then 2007 to 2009, he wrote primarily on hackity.org. Well, now I'm pulling all those posts in and just every week I'm getting more and more resources and it's just, oh, I'm I'm having so much fun and we're slowly getting more uh, subscribers and the click-through rate's pretty good as well. So it's a new world, it's really fun.
1: It is a new world, but it's an old world that you're just bringing into the new world, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to say, you know, I've said, to you, and you probably feel similarly, I'm very back-endy and I got to say, dr- composing emails is so weird because one, the previews that you get, cause I use a uh, drip, I'll just say who I work with. Um, the preview is not necessarily what you get and the rules of writing your HTML for an email to look any way decent, um, it's, it's it's you have to send preview emails to yourself, otherwise it's just going to look bizarre. It's really weird.
1: So um, as you know, I freelance for a and so I was working on this fulfillment notification, and I knew I needed to have this like very pretty, gorgeous email. And like you just noted, I'm primarily back end, so I reached out to a service that I'd used in the past, which is Litmus. If you've ever used it, and it's this excellent editor that allows you to basically design these beautiful templated emails and then be able to export the code out because email is a whole nother realm just because you have to include all the dependencies within the email. It's very archaic. Like you have to be able to support so many different types of clients and you don't want it to look bad in some and look great in others.
0: Yeah, I've honestly never heard of Litmus. If I was smart, I probably would have Googled around this. Uh, I will be looking at them after the show then to see if I can get a little help here, <laughs> maybe, maybe next sponsor. Right. So.
1: yeah, perfect. <laughs> hey, I, I'm here to offer advice and uh, listen to uh, hear what's new with you as well. You did touch on something that I've been pondering on and I'd love to get your feedback on. Yeah. So you talked about how you're currently building this gem, which actually sounds really cool. And I'm excited to try it out. Should you decide to open source it? Been working on a project at work so we work on ticketing systems at work uh, for yeah. shows like the symphony opera ballet and so it is a digital world and we want to introduce mobile ticketing to our users to for them to be able to bring their phones instead of having to print out tickets or receive them in the mail or pick them up at the box office
0: right
1: and so the two main as you probably know are google pay and then Passbook for Apple. And so we've started with Google Pay first. Hilariously, we applied for a nonprofit developer license for Apple, and it's been two months and it's still in pending review status.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Which is ridiculous, but hopefully they approve that soon because I have an iPhone and I'm eager to work on the feature, but we started with Google Pay. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very, very, I'm very lucky that i work in the ruby community because often when i am, want to implement a new feature or i want to bring in a third-party service usually there is an amazing person out there who has already created an api wrapper or some sort of library that really makes it plug and play and so i thought that would be the same case with google pay um, because there's a lot of android users out there and I, when i went to go look at rubygems.org and i scoured github i spent several days doing this i could find nothing Wow. And so I was like, okay, this is brand new terrain. And so I'm going to consult the Google Pay documentation and build this myself. And I did, but it was hard. The documentation's very fragmented. Of course, none of it's written in Ruby, which is what you would expect. A lot of it in PHP, .NET, JavaScript, no Ruby to be found. Oh, man. And so I pulled it off. i really happy I've, I've gotten it to work. And I guess my question for you is... Is it worth taking all that time and energy that I put into implementing this and put it into a gem for other people to use?
0: I would say yes, I mean, but that's selfish because I don't have to do any work to say yes, right? (laughs) Um, But if it's something like, well, when you look at it, do you see how it could be gemified that you could still use it as a gem at your organization?
1: Absolutely. The tricky part though, is that Google Pay itself is quite complicated. And what I'm really after is the Google pay for passes. And I think I would be comfortable with building a gem that is just completely focused on the pass aspect of it. The tricky part that I'm kind of struggling with is Google's a very big corporation that I would expect to have a library like this. And so I'm almost tempted, should I reach out to a developer evangelist at Google and say, hey, do you have any intention of supporting a a Ruby library? If not, would, would you want a grassroots effort? It, it's just, it's fairly new. I feel like as a functionality, and I, I think it'd be a lot of fun because I think I would get some use out of a gem. I've I've never published a gem before that got like real usage. And I think it it sounds like a fun project, but it could also be really daunting.
0: I, I think what you just said is, is really wise and thinking ahead because a lot of people can just dive in first, but um, talking these evangelists, I don't know if I've, I've had interactions, not with Google, but with a few large organizations and they're, like Twilio, for example, and their de- developer evangelists are really approachable and really connected with their organization. So it might be, and if not, I can think of one prolific Twitter Rubyist who's currently a Googler who we could harass.
1: I know so. exactly who you're talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there you go.
1: So I might go down that path. The The interesting point too is that there's the API is pretty wide and I'm only using maybe 25% of the API. And so it's always difficult to build against something that you don't really need, but I think that's a, a large part of open source. You see a lot of people start these open source libraries and then they, they no longer have a need for it themselves, yet they continue to maintain it. So that can be tricky because then you're spending your free time on something that you're not getting a real benefit from, except, you know, providing it to the community.
0: You And you could specify that, you know, either in the readme or the gem name or something, I don't I don't know the domain at all. But, right, you could just say, hey, you know, this is the part of the problem, our hot spots that we've solved, if you really want these other areas, uh, PR is welcome. I don't know. I don't know. No, but that's a really good idea.
1: Cool. To not like take it in such a stoic, like, official way, but say like, hey, I am a nonprofit developer who had to use this as a functionality. And I just wanted to help other people.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I can think of the closest example I can think of is, um, you remember, um, Jose Alvarez, uh, who, at, at Isle of Ruby, we were both at, and he'd maintained Telegram bot, which laid on top of the Telegram bot API, but only did not the full swathe of the endless API, but just the the core bits that, that he is interested in using. And, you know, if you wanted to extend it, I, I did, you know, I added a few bits, but, um, it's just, you know, just sh- ship what, you, you know, what the, the core bits that you're focused on. Of course you can always add more that doesn't stop you. But anyway, I'd be very interested in this. This is an area I've never, never played in Google, yeah. Pay, Apple pay, never been in that world
1: it's a lot of fun um it's it's semi-complicated and how you have to set it up but once you get it working it's really cool basically the way it works is that you have to create an event ticket object so like your event that you're going to so let's say it's beethoven so you create that and then from that you create child objects that belong to it which are the tickets and yeah. so those get save to your wallet and you can render barcodes and all the ticket information. The weird part though, is that Google itself doesn't provide any reporting as to how many tickets you're generating, which is something that I would definitely want to know. Yeah. And so we're going to kind of hack around Google analytics to see if we can create our own custom reporting. So again, more stuff that, you know, I'm going to end up learning that I can share with others.
0: That's awesome. So is your Google, uh, pay, I, I keep wanting to say play um, implementation live at this point, or is it, uh, uh, where is it at?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's not live and it's kind of an interesting reason as to why not, because moving to mobile ticketing is such a big deal within our organization that we can't just launch it. It's not one of those things where you can just change a feature on a website. It becomes like a whole organizational mind shift because right now when you show up to the show. And someone brings out their phone our ushers have been trained to tell them no you can't use your phone you have to go to the box uh, office and get your ticket printed
0: wow okay yeah
1: so it is like a whole thing where we as developers which i think is kind of interesting and unusual like we're gonna have to get buy-in from the entire organization to even release this as a feature
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's a big shift and it's it's a big area and also uh when you do hear back on apple pay I'm, i'd also be very interested to hear that journey as well um, yeah I, so
1: that has a supported library does so it, that's going to be a different it does oh wow but not by apple someone is third-party maintaining it so whoever you are out there we we appreciate <laughs> and <laughs> congratulate you for all your hard work
0: that's awesome it's just it just you're what you said there just really reminds me every day that you know, I haven't been in Ruby land or Rails land forever, but there's just so many really critical domains that you could spend years working on to, to really polish that I just never, you know, get get to see. So it's it's, uh, it's interesting to have these conversations, you know, with fellow developers who, who are touching on areas that I may actually never run into in my work, you know?
1: Totally true. So what else is new with you, Nick?
0: Yeah, so, you know, things have been well since I think we last uh, spoke, uh, five or six episodes ago, which, by the way, I have to give you credit. You know, I love a little bit of uh, technical treats and GraphQL, Cache Jam, Domain Driven uh, Design, Sorbet, Action View Component. It's been a real treat to listen to those uh, last few episodes. And I just would like to thank you and all those guests who are on. Um, But uh, another one I, I just wanted to bring to this episode an article I read, I think in this last week um, out of, that, that I found really interesting and I uh, get your thoughts on it as well. Um, so Honey Badger, starhorn with them, and they're a small outfit, I think they have like four developers, even though they're quite a big entity in the Ruby community, um, had a really good article about migrating over to turbolinks. Did you see that article?
1: I actually did not, so definitely tell me about it.
0: Okay, so precursor here. I don't know what your relationship is with Turbolinks, but mine is hands in the air, never fully committed, uh, always would look the way of Turbolinks. And then something weird would happen and it'd just be, oh, Turbolinks broke it. And you'd run away from Turbolinks. So uh, I don't know if you would use it much at your organization. I'm,
1: we use it heavily and oh. we are big fans. So I'm on the <laughs> other side.
0: <laughs> so I want to be there. You're like, it's like, you know, that person, like, at the gym, who's doing all these crazy reps. And is like, so far ahead and You're like, oh, I want to be there. That, that's, and I'm just the person on there, like second time that month, running a quarter of a mile and sweating. <laughs> so, so I want to, I want to be there and it's just, I need to get to the, to the promised land because I'd love, I want to, I want nap with stimulus and turbo links and really using rails UJS as well. Just, just really slick because there's a lot of power that we have right there waiting for us. And, um, that, uh, anyway, Star put together a really good article, they're using, uh, I think it's PJAX everywhere, it's not maintained anymore, and they mm-hmm. migrated over. But what was super cool, and I'd go into it now, but I'm not I'm not an expert on every line of this, but he, he broke into a bunch of sections just talking about the gotchas. If you have an existing legacy or functioning application and you're going into Turbolinks for the first time, just breaking down a lot of things that probably would have taken me quite a while to understand uh you know, about uh you know, things that trigger the first time the page loads, things that trigger every other time after that, cleaning up your modals and your JavaScript. Uh and and you know, I, I I had a basic idea how TurboLinks worked, but how to get your existing JavaScript working with it. Uh so yeah, I'll 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 recommend it for the show notes, but I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed reading that article and also wanted to pick your brain about uh what your experiences were with turbolinks because it's it's where I want to be. So.
1: so we use it in production, but I cannot take all the credit for that. We contracted ThoughtBot at the top of the year to help us re-implement our select your own seat and they decided to implement Turbolinks into that screen. Now that being said, after they stepped off the project, we needed to make an adjustment to one of the buttons, simply changing the text depending on what was going on for the user. And we found with Turbo Links that was a bit more complicated than we expected, and I feel personally I learn best when I really have to dig into a bug and to figure out what's going on there, as opposed to everything just going swimmingly. So we can't take all the credit, but Turbo Links has been great so far.
0: I'd love to get there, you know, with TurboLinks because I th- I feel like I feel like there's a few bad tropes that we can have as developers, uh, and one that I'd be guilty of, or I've I've seen people is if something breaks, you know, it's I don't know if it, you've Encountered it, but very easy to say, oh, Turbolinks it must be Turbolinks. It's kind of like people who say, oh, your tests are flaky. It's a flaky failure. You know, it's not a real failure, you know, like just little things. So I want to have enough confidence with Turbolinks that I can say, nope, Turbolinks is fine. It's our code that is broken.
1: I completely agree with you. And I feel like it's been a big step in my Rails career that I no longer feel that when I start a new Rails application that I need to put the flag in for no Turbolinks. I feel like Even with us and the rest of the community, there's just a lot more faith in TurboLinks actually working and not creating weird bugs in your environment. And it's really lent well quite uh, to our performance on both of our festival and our e-commerce site. So we have more content for you all, but we are gonna take a quick word from our sponsor, Indeed Prime. Are you ready to put your Rails experience to use in a job you'll love? Indeed Prime is a confidential free service that puts you in front of leading brands and tech startups with roles you're interested in. They find out what's important to you and match you with your dream job. All it takes is one free application to connect to thousands of companies in over 90 cities. Companies like Twilio, Overstock, Sling, WP Engine, PayPal, VRBO. Skip endless resumes and get matched to employers based on your skills, experience, and your salary roles. You even get access to one-on-one technical career coaching that includes resume reviews, mock interviews, and salary negotiation tips. So whether you're hiring or looking, meet your match on Indeed Prime. Join now by going to indeedprime.com slash ruby on rails. Thank you to Indeed Prime for sponsoring the show. So Nick, I'm assuming you heard about a little incident that might have happened at GitHub yesterday. Now granted, we've spent a lot of time on the show talking about how great GitHub is, and it's just bound to happen that something might come up.
0: You know. Where of this incident?
1: So basically what happened is that developers were going on to GitHub, clicking on repositories and getting a 500 error. And so they would go to Twitter and basically yell, oh God, I've been fired from my company. But we all know that once you lose your GitHub repository access, you're going to see a 404. So essentially what happened is that multiple services on GitHub.com were affected by a network partition and subsequent database failure resulting in inconsistent information being presented on the website. And so it was down for about 41 minutes, lots of, you know, turmoil on Twitter over it, but eventually they did recover. It will be interesting to see what kind of backlash they have from this.
0: But, you know, I don't know what the alternative is, right? Because like, uh, so for example, we in my day job would be uh, GitLab hosted, right? So you'd think we're insulated, right? When GitLab went down, didn't affect us because we're self-hosted. No, it just means that our server can go down and then we're the only ones who have to fix it and clean it up. Right. So, uh, and we've definitely, I think for uptime, yeah, I think GitLab's definitely beaten just about anybody else. Aren't they? I don't, I don't know what it's been like the last year, but, uh, that, that makes me happy to work at smaller companies. I feel for devs at time like that.
1: And with that, we are going to wrap up the podcast for this week. I do want to give a quick shout out to a fellow Ruby podcast, and that is Remote Ruby. You can find them at remoteruby.transistor.fm. Chris Oliver and Jason Charnes host the Remote Ruby podcast, and it is a podcast for Ruby developers. They have a really excellent recent episode about remote working, so please do give that a listen. Nick, as always, it's great having you on the show. We'll be sure to do more episodes like this, of course. We are going to take a little bit of a break next week, but we'll be back soon with more content for you
0: all. Thank you very much, Brittany. It's been a pleasure being on.